Hello there, this is Jason Dees, and this is the Think Through It podcast. Think Through It exists to help people think through the big questions of life and culture. On the Think Through It podcast, we'll be talking with friends, cultural influencers, and forward thinkers about the things that all of us need to be thinking about. Today, I have the chance to talk to Thorne Winter. Thorne is a local artist, filmmaker, and is a member of Christ Covenant. He's made several short films and is the leader of the Covenant Arts Collective. Thorne has thought deeply about how theology and the arts come together and why the church recently has so often either avoided the arts or pursued the arts in a kitschy or unexcellent kind of way. Where does theology and the arts meet? This is an important conversation and a helpful conversation. So I'm glad that you've decided to join Thorn Winter and me as we think through it. So Thorn, you went to the Savannah College of Art and Design. Um, obviously, you were interested in the arts before that. So, I mean, take us back. How did you, how did you initially get interested in the arts in general and maybe in film in particular? You know, I was reflecting on that, and I actually think that it was something of a coping mechanism for myself. Um, when I was very young, uh, one of my favorite family members actually passed away due to cancer. And in retrospect, I don't have a whole lot of memories of that time in my life. It's, it's just a gap before and then after. And I don't even really have any memories of this family member. But I know that during that time, I started playing with imaginary friends. And also during that time, I started doing a lot more drawings. I started getting a lot more interested in movies. And I think that's probably the, the impetus was that it was just ultimately a coping strategy that evolved mm. into something more. Um, now, as far as film as a medium, when my sister was born, this was 20 years ago now, uh, actually 20 years ago, what day is it, the 17th? 20 years ago on the 15th, my father handed me the family camcorder to... Uh, guess How old were you at that time? Seven. Okay. Yeah, so... You got behind the, the camera as a seven-year-old for the first time. Yep, and it was it was just to distract me. There was no tape in the camera. I've tried to track down the tape, and, you know, there was no tape oh, the really? at the time. So I had no idea, but I started directing my cousins and my, my younger sibling and sort of acting out uh, various commercials and sort of dramatizations there in so the So the family member with the cancer, was that before the that camcorder? Was, yeah, okay. that was before that. So this goes way back. Yeah, way back. Um, now, after my, my father gave me that camera, he, he couldn't keep it away from me after that. Hmm. So I started playing with, uh, you know, with my model train set and, you know, filming the, the trains going off a bridge or... Or uh, later on, well, when I got into middle school and high school, I started setting things on fire and filming that, you know, little model buildings. Yeah. And like having a, you know, then putting in like a, a toy T-Rex or something, having it, you know, terrorize a city. So it just became a bit of a fascination for me. And I think I saw Steven Spielberg talking about how he got into filmmaking around that time as well, um, attached to an Indiana Jones screening on television. And it just it lined up like, yeah it made a lot of sense to me I, I could relate to it particularly because I, I was always into model trains as a child and and just filming the model trains crashing filming you know stories with with plastic army men and directing my siblings I realized that you know this is something that could probably go a little bit further so how old were you when you started to think 
a little more deeply about the arts and maybe in particular thinking about them from sort of a theological perspective or from a Christian perspective and, and how did that happen? It was late high school and probably early college before I started contemplating the arts from that perspective, um, particularly from a theological perspective, because I don't think that my faith really became my own until, you know, probably four or five years ago. And at that point, I was really just looking at the arts as being a get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah. I had absolutely no conception of what actually went into uh, doing film and television as a career path or doing the arts as a career path. I just thought that if you build it, they will come and that a YouTube success was one viral video away. When I was a freshman in college, I secured a feature film deal. I negotiated it. We raised a substantial amount of money on Kickstarter and we moved forward with it. And it was a, a hired job that I would say I, I've actually disavowed the project at this point because I disagreed with what we were saying in the in the film. I disagreed with the content. I just completely disavow it. But it was because of that project that I wound up becoming a Christian. Oh, I wow. should say, because my my friend and I we would talk about theology, uh, and we would talk about God. We would talk about our faith. And throughout this entire project, we would you know, do that as well. And at the tail end of the project, I, I just said, wow, you know, God's really blessed us with this project. And my friend told me, just point blank, you know, Thorne, I don't think God's very happy with us or this project. I don't think there's anything that we've done here that we can show our family. And I don't think there's anything that we've done here that we'd be happy if we were to meet Jesus today. Oh, wow. To show to his face. So, so it was convicting. Yes. And you realize maybe that the arts or this project had become kind of an idol in your life. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So how have you, I mean, now obviously you, you are a believer. You want to, uh, you know, pursue the arts in kind of a way that pleases the Lord. So talk to me about that, that. How does your understanding of theology kind of inform how you now view the arts or, or being artistic and then and vice versa? For one, I think it's an ongoing process. I think that the goal for any believer should be to be more like Christ tomorrow than they are today. Mm -hmm. And that, that has been the, the process um, thus far as I've been pursuing Christ. I do think that you know, 1 Corinthians says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And it, it took a while, you know, dealing with imposter syndrome, you know, thinking that, what am I doing? You know, I, I'm not an artist. I'm, I'm not a creative type. You know, what do I think I'm doing? I should go, you know, pursue some sort of uh, traditional path right, as yeah. far as my career goes. Uh, but, but as I've come to terms with the fact that God has given me a certain skill set that I need to be looking at applying this skill set in the way that Christ would apply it if Christ were living my life, which I think directly relates to, to the most recent sermon series. You know, how would Jesus live your life? How would Jesus be a filmmaker? Exactly. Yeah. And or I like to say it this way, like if Jesus were a filmmaker, would he have changed the world? And the answer is absolutely, right? I mean, Jesus, when he came, did like very normal things. He was just the son of God. He was doing them as God would do them. And right. obviously God changed the world through that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And a, a struggle that I think I've also faced is that the stories that I tend to write, the films that I tend to make, are not the kind of content that you would see on the Hallmark Channel. They're not the kind of content that you would see on a traditional Christian network, I would say. Um, I tend to, to sort of view the creative process, I, I think, in the same way that Flannery O'Connor did, where she sort of sees the world, well, she saw the world, and she recognized the fact that it was broken, but she also recognized the fact that there was a savior. Yeah. So there's this, this it's Southern Gothic is ultimately what it is, but it's this clash between the fallenness of the world and the restorative power of God. Revealing the brokenness of the world in really all areas, right? right? Even in areas that we think are good. Right. That's where she had a kind of a niche of exposing, uh, you know, exposing self-righteousness. And, um, and obviously, as you said, like leading to, leading your heart to long for redemption and then exposing the redemption that is there in Christ. Correct. Um, and I think that's, that's really the philosophy that, that I approach the arts with is, is the fact that I think everyone has a story to tell. And I think that there are Christian filmmakers who are doing really good work that, that maybe have a, a more, um, religiously focused content well I, I think some of the like to your point religiously focused or whatever kind of film I mean you know the facing the giants genre for lack of a better right. word or whatever to me it almost glamorizes the gospel in a way that's kind of feels more like marketing than it is like genuine storytelling if that makes sense um, you know it's kind of like if you trust in Christ, your marriage will be saved, you'll win the football game, and you'll get a brand new truck, um, which is really good marketing. You know, if we want people to become Christians, like, you know, I want a new truck, you know, but, um, but I don't think it really speaks to kind of think what you're saying, like the real human condition and the real work of redemption that uh, God, which sometimes is um, not as glamorous. Or oh, not, no, absolutely. Yeah, not. or not as uh, touchy-feely. Um, you know, the, the Christian life is a lot of hurry up and wait sometimes. Yeah. And you can't summarize that effectively in a 90 minute movie. And that's, that, that's actually the problem that I have with, with films like Facing the Giants. I, I think that it is fine for its target audience, but I don't think, and I may be wrong and I, I certainly don't want to to assume one way or the other. I'm not I'm not certain that that is effective in reaching people who aren't already going to buy a ticket. Uh, if if you're already going to church, and it, and it may even be damaging for people who will buy a ticket. Right. Right. If it's this is what I'm saying, if it's giving you a false sense of really the message of Christ, right. then you know whether we're doing this to reach people or not, like we're not even really being true to the story. Right, exactly. I mean, pick up your cross and follow me. That's, that is one of the, the definite things that we know about the Christian faith is that if you earnestly pursue Christ, you're going to face persecution, you're going to face rejection, and the most perfect man to ever live was put on uh, a criminal's cross and, and executed in a very public and humiliating fashion. That's who we're following, and 
you know, that at the very base level of the Christian faith, you, you've got to expect that you're going to be facing conflict, and it's by conflict that we grow stronger. It's by conflict that, that God grows us as Christians. I, I really uh, don't like the fact that so many of the stories that we tell about Jesus focus on what we get out of it. Yeah, it's as very a, man-centered. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is, you're getting to the heart of, of really the problem with those types of films is that it is the prosperity gospel to a certain extent. Yeah, it's either like, I mean, it's what I call like uh, prosperity light. Like it's right. not like necessarily, you know, the true, you know, health and wealth gospel, but it's a, it's a trust Jesus and all your problems will be solved kind of right. mentality. And, and, you know, ultimately, from a cosmic perspective, that's absolutely right. All your problems will be solved, but they're not going to be solved hardly ever the way that you expect. What Jesus has to offer us is way better than a brand oh, new yeah. truck. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. What, um, why do you think Christians do get nervous? I mean, if you think about the history of the church and, and you know, I, this is something I've thought a lot about and actually studied some, but, you know, ch- church music, music right. has never really been far from the church, obviously. Right. But the visual arts, um, certainly image and, uh, you know, and, and obviously film, things like this, like really kind of have been, uh, it, it's not been a big part of the church, at least in our kind of more Protestant tradition, um, you know, how do you see that kind of working itself out? I, I mean, I think that's probably changing a little bit, but have, have you thought about that, you know, historically? And, you know, maybe how do you see the church changing? Well, I think during the Renaissance, the reason that you have such a, a, uh, a healthy body of work centered on the church and on Christ is, is simply because the church was willing to invest in in the arts and, and patronizing these these artists and these workshops to creating these these wonderful pieces of art that at times you know certainly I, I think that uh, the the iconoclasm I'm not completely up to speed with church history but the whole concept that these icons became idols and therefore needed to be shunned I think that there's something to be said there because altarpieces can become problematic but uh, that that's that's a tangent that we're not we don't well yeah I mean I think historically I mean what we saw at least in the Protestant tradition was what I believe an overreaction to some of the abuses of the image. Yeah, Yeah. and so images or uh, works of art were being abused, right? I mean, people were using them to get rich. This was a time when there wasn't a lot of image, and so people were using them in this kind of iconography. There was a a strong kind of desire for icons or people had icons they were making a ton of money off of. Um, And so the Protestant church obviously saw this is kind of in the same era of, you know, a lot of other abuses in the church and, and all of image, you know, kind of got thrown out with the bat. Luther actually, though, never really, Luther didn't go wholesale with that. It was more Zwingli, Calvin, on that kind of side of the Reformed tradition. They're the ones that whitewashed churches, put the pulpit in the center, and really got rid of any sort of imagery and made it really more about, you know, hearing and listening, which, again, right. I do think is central to the Christian life. Faith comes by hearing, right? But um, I do think it was an overreaction to a lot of the abuses that we were seeing in the church. And, and I'm glad to see, you know, 
people who are gifted in terms of visual arts and imagery and painting and filmmaking or whatever, uh, I mean, we certainly at Christ Covenant want to be about the, you know, helping people to use their gifts uh, to bring glory to Christ. Right. And I think that sort of the follow-up to that is while the early church was willing to invest in the arts, despite the abuse, I think that from a secular perspective, there is likewise abuse. And I think that the modern church sees what the secular world has done yeah. with the arts. And there's this tendency to withdraw or retaliate, which I think is what why we see the overtly religious pieces that are coming out that simplify the gospel to the point where are you really even presenting it? Uh, or likewise, just not getting involved. Um, so know. give us a vision for the future. How, how do we need to think about the arts theologically, rightly, in a way that doesn't do what you're talking about there um, and pleases the Lord? You know, J.R.R. Tolkien, he, he posited the idea and sort of a driving force behind his work was the fact that you know, we're made in the image of God. And as we're made in the image of God, we are sub-creators to a certain extent. The, the first action that's attributed to God in Scripture is that of creation. And the formation of mankind particularly is a very intimate process. You see the potter and the clay immediately forming man from the dust and then breathing breath into him. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is a very deliberate, intentional process that we see god blessing man and we know that that man has a propensity to create and also to destroy my vision or i guess what i would like to see is an active encouragement of the creative tendency within the church um, i think christ's covenant is a very rare exception because this is probably the first time that I've ever been involved in a church that has a focus on the arts to some extent and are actually asking these types of questions. I think a lot of the time we, uh, we will promote content that sort of fits with our, our branding and our message, and we know that there's not going to be any pushback because, you know, we're showing distinctly religious material and we're not asking difficult questions, nothing that makes people feel unpleasant. And I think that if we want to reclaim the arts as Christians, we need to be asking difficult questions. We need to be willing to address humanity and meet them where they are. If you look at the, the book of Judges, there's absolutely nothing pleasant about the book of Judges. But it illustrates very clearly mankind's fallenness. Yeah. There's nothing... This is where depravity leads. Exactly. There, there's nothing pleasant about the book of Ecclesiastes but it tells us what life looks like apart from God. I go back to Psalm 88. I have it underlined in, in my Bible, and written next to it, I have written the suicide song, essentially, because it is, it's a person in the depths of despair, crying out to God for deliverance. And... And I realize that is not a very, you know, it's not a pleasant way to, of going about things. I, I tend to be a bit of a pessimist and have a, a sense of melancholy, but that is, you know, more or less what God's laid on my heart. But I, I see the world, and, and that, that's what I try to communicate with anything that I do, is that we do live in a fallen world. And you can't really separate that, because if, if Christ is going to talk 
so openly about sin and its impact on mankind. We, as a church, do not need to to just remove that from the equation. We need to let people know that there is a problem, and everyone knows there is a problem. Addictions at an all-time high, suicide rates are at an all-time high. We, we know very well as a species that there is a problem that we're facing as human beings, and the church has the, the only answer. Yeah. And we need to be willing to acknowledge the fact that there is a problem to begin with. It sounds like what you're saying to me is blessed are those who mourn. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 For they will be comforted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there, what I'm hearing from you is there is an appropriate mourning that the arts can give voice to maybe, or at least tell the story of that will lead us to an appropriate dependence on Christ. Right. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, on more of a positive note, (laughs) uh, I think that the arts can do the other thing too. I think they can, they can bring about joy. They can bring about, I mean, there is a, you know, I always say, uh, you know, my favorite, you know, you mentioned Tolkien earlier, and he's got this great little phrase called a eucatastrophe, you know, you know that, have you heard this before? I think you've mentioned it before. Yeah, so a eucatastrophe, it's the opposite of it, it's a good catastrophe, it's a, everything, you know, a catastrophe is everything seems to be going good, and then a catastrophe happens, and it ruins it. And, and a eucatastrophe is everything seems to be going bad, and then a eucatastrophe happens, and it makes it all good. And, and you know, my favorite eucatastrophe in film is in the movie Shawshank Redemption, when, you know, you think Andy Dufresne has committed suicide, right. and you think, like, oh, my gosh, he's finally given into depression. And then, you know, nobody can find him. You're like, what has happened to this guy? And Warden Norton throws the chess piece through the poster of Raquel Welsh, and you realize what's happened. And then in an instant, you've realized what's happened. You realize he's free. You realize where the movie's going to go. And it's, and it's like the most joyful. I mean, your heart almost just comes alive. And that's what the gospel is, right? You have to, like, mourn sin. You have to mourn uh, consequence of sin. You have to mourn brokenness in order to really see how much life the resurrection can bring. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the arts can do all of that. They can, they can help us on the, on the mourning side. They can also help us on the comfort side uh, of that equation. And um, so let me ask you one last question. Okay. How have the arts moved you to a deeper love of Christ? You know, it goes back to the creation account. You start to get a a very clear understanding of what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made when you you set out to create something that takes a a long period of time. Mm. Art doesn't just happen. You don't just do it. Um, There's a bit of a misconception. Uh, One one of the most difficult things for, for creative types starting out doing freelance work is the fact that folks don't, really value from a monetary perspective what they do. They think it's just something that you can just do and and it, it comes easily and it, it just doesn't. It, it's a very painstaking, often painstaking process. It's very methodical. It requires a great deal of commitment and dedication. And when you, when you actually embark on that and get into the milieu of, of creating something and your heart's in it, mm-hmm. and then you realize that's exactly what God mm-hmm. did when he made you. The, the whole fact that he knows how many hairs are on your head and yeah. not one can fall without his say-so. You know, he means that. He absolutely means that. And you start realizing, you look up at, at the night, 
I, I really connect with God through nature. Mm-hmm. I look up at the night sky and you realize, you, you know, the universe, all the stars that are out there, that set dressing for the drama that's playing out down here, that's such extravagance and such beauty that God has poured into creation. Isn't it though? Yeah. It's, I mean, you're, then I love what you're saying there. It's like, golly, God, what God ultimately wanted to do in creation is this drama here. Yeah. But think about how much energy he put into getting the set right, mm-hmm. to your point. Um, think about, it's kind of like Tolkien, you know, Tolkien, um, have you ever like heard him on an interview or whatever? Uh, apart from the the sub creator bit, I haven't listened to a whole. You know, so he of- he wrote uh, languages. He created all these other backstories that goes along with the main story of the Lord of the Rings, right? Right. And so there's all this extra work. It was so far from what you're talking about. Like a lot of people just do art to monetize it. It was so far from that. He did this stuff like be, just for the pleasure of creating a world and there was so much detail to it there was so much background that we never see like you could be a big lord of the rings fan and never learn elvish or you know the language Mm -hmm. that he created for it it wasn't really for the consumer it was for the creation of this thing and that's really kind of what god has done in creation like there's so much around this in order for him to display himself and i think you're right when we create you kind of join god in that a little bit well and and, and as far as we can as humans yeah and I think that's really ultimately what it what it does for me in terms of my spiritual walk is that it deepens my understanding and appreciation of God from from the big picture, but also the the more specifics. Because you start connecting that with Scripture and you see the character of God, and then mm-hmm. you get to the point. Every time I go through the Bible, I'm always like I, I have to go through the Bible with a New Testament and Old Testament reading back to back because by the time I get done with the Old Testament, I'm so bummed out <laughs> because I'm just there's nothing we can do. Like, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I'm gonna, we need a savior. Yep, exactly. Um, and then you know Jesus comes along, and it's you know it's everything the Old Testament exactly. was pointing to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, Thorne, I, I love what you're saying, I, and I think if there's a vision for what we want Covenant Arts to be, it is we want to give an environment for, we want to engage the artistic community in Atlanta and give them an environment where they can join with God in the act of creation and worship God through the act of creation. And uh, I thank you so much for helping us to organize that and giving leadership to it very happy to do so. It's been a blessing. Well, this has been a fun conversation, Thorne. Thanks for coming on. So for Thorne Winter the 4th, 5th, the 5th, sorry, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it.